Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the show, we got to talk about what separates recruiting from everything else and why that is the most important thing that you can invest your money into if you are a college football program. Yes, I'm putting it ahead of name image and likeness i also want to get into the fallout of oklahoma and texas announcing they're leaving the big 12 in 2024 for the sec what the big 12 needs to do and what oklahoma needs to and texas i should say need to accomplish in 2023 but first we got to talk about the news that dropped on tuesday morning that is that todd munkin is going to leave his post as the offensive coordinator at georgia to become the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, which means that, in my estimation, Todd Munkin is going to have the second-best quarterback in the NFL and only the second player ever to win unanimous NFL MVP. That is Lamar Jackson. You'll know that Todd Munkin was coordinating an offense that has casually won back-to-back national championships. And frankly, it's not been an easy job, right? Like, that's the thing that I think we need to say about Georgia up front. You need to run an offense that doesn't get on Kirby Smart's nerves, and you need to score 40 a game. Those two things are usually incongruous. You cannot do them because Kirby Smart wants to run the damn ball. Matter of fact, at Georgia, they sell hats to say, run the damn ball, B-A-W-L, and you got to put up 40, and you got to stay out of his defense's way. Todd Munkin, first, has a special place in my heart because he went to Southern Miss and flipped that program around. It's my mother's alma mater. It's the first college program that I ever got to see with my own eyes. And my mother telling me stories about Ray Guy. That's how far back she goes with USM. Graduate 1976 means I was around for Brett Favre. I was around for Pat Sertan. And I have an interest in the Golden Eagles. So what Todd Munkin was able to do for them was very important to me. Also, casually, offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State got to see what he was capable of doing with Wes Lunt. Now, if you've never heard of Wes Lunt, that underscores my point. All right? He was able to put up 40 a game with Wes Lunt. All right? And or, casually, bringing in a guy like Clint Shelf, another guy you haven't heard of who could throw for 3,040 touchdowns. What I'm saying is he was uniquely positioned to be the offensive coordinator at Georgia, which means he's really good at getting along with guys with big personalities who want to have the ball run the way they want to have it run, and that is Kirby Smart. Now, on the heels of Todd Munkin leaving what is the greatest program in the sport today— For the Baltimore Ravens, we get news that Kirby Smart is not wasting any time. He has elevated offensive analyst Mike Bobo to the offensive coordinator job. If that name sounds familiar, it's because 
it is. Shout out to Seth Emerson, who had this over at The Athletic. But I know Bobo as the dude who was the up-and-coming offensive coordinator who ended up Colorado State where it didn't go so well. Okay? Then, casually after that, took a couple of offensive coordinator positions, notably at Auburn, and then at South Carolina, and then as an offensive analyst at Georgia. And I was thinking to myself, hmm, why does a guy like that take a job like that at Georgia? And it's because you're in position to be this guy. As a matter of fact, Todd Munkin went out of his way to say how much he enjoyed having Mike Bobo on his staff. Even saying that dude was down to do the 22-year-old grunt work of making play cards and doing whatever was necessary because he just wanted to be at Georgia. As a matter of fact, Monkey makes a joke that, you know, Kirby had made it his decision, but it wasn't his decision. He knew that Mike Bobo was going to be on that staff because Mike Bobo really wanted to be at Georgia for a second time. This is a guy who groomed David Green, Aaron Murray, and Matthew Stafford while at Georgia. He knows what to do with quarterbacks. And frankly, if Carson Beck is half as good as the folks in Athens would have me believe, he's going to be better than Stetson Bennett. Another guy, not unlike West Hunt, that Todd Munkin got it done not once, but twice with. Now you're going to give that man a lethal weapon in Lamar Jackson. Can't wait to see what that offense looks like. But I think this also speaks to what Kirby Smart has done for his program and frankly what Mike Bobo is stepping into because what Mike Bobo is going to be asked to do is exactly what Todd Munkin has been doing, which is run the offense that Kirby Smart wants you to run. Now, I am interested to find out just how much creativity Kirby Smart is going to allow in this offense because offensive coordinator position is a lot like being in the business talent or even more so a producer, I think, because talent's more like quarterback, player, and producer's more like a coordinator, right? Which is to say, you get into this to be creative. You want to put your own spin on things. You understand the box you are working within, but you are going to make some decisions, right? In my job, that's like taking a look at the rundown and we're even putting it together, talking about what we're going to do for topics on the show. That is not unlike a game plan for what an offensive coordinator needs to come up with. But if you have plays in there or an entire game plan, perhaps, that doesn't go along with what your executive producer or the person above you wants to go along with, you got a problem. And that's where you could have some, well, clashing of the heads, right? So knowing that Mike Bobo has this experience as an offensive coordinator in the SEC and knowing that he does like to run this sort of pro-style offense that Kirby Smart really loves, I think it's going to be just fine. I think it's going to go well. He's also got talent out his behind, right? Like, you look at that offensive line, you look at what they return, you know you got another Kendall Milton year, you're going to be okay. Just don't mess up the bus, right? Make sure that the bus gets where it's going on time. But I'm excited for Mike Bobo because it's very clear that he really wanted to be in Athens. He really wants to have this job. And I think it was interesting. I just casually threw this out on Twitter to ask the question, who did the better job making a hire in this cycle? Is it Nick Saban or Kirby Smart? Because Nick Saban ends up going with what I think is going to be a slam dunk. I think it's a really great and sneaky hire in Tommy Reese because he also got a guy who goes back to his roots, would like to run a lot of tight ends, would like to run the football, and it's not going to put his offense in positions to where they have to go through too many third and 15s, right? Because he wants to drop back and throw the ball and or pick up these really ridiculous holding penalties that sometimes can plague these offenses that want to spread the ball out. Because, you know, you got a quarterback there that wants to cook and offensive tackle's got a hard time. Now, I also think that don't mess up what's already working is a great strategy as well. So Kirby Smart saying we're going to stay within our program not only signals to me that he wants to continue to run the program and play the style of football that they have, but to the rest of his staff, not unlike what they do at Clemson, 
if you stick with me, I will give you a shot. Now, with Clemson, it kind of got a little shook up because he had to fire an offense coordinator after one year, which, you know, he might come to regret. But then again, he got Garrett Riley in exchange for letting go Brandon Streeter. I think you really love knowing that. And I think that the cohesion there speaks to the way you're going to recruit, speaks to the way you're going to act, and speaks to we are the University of Georgia as opposed to we're going to be the University of Georgia from all sides, right? Which is to say we're going to get everybody that we can in here and try to make it go that way, which, you know, can work. But when you're looking at Georgia, the way that they've made it work seems to be the only way to win national championships. And I want to talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But as we're talking about national championships, and as we're talking about the only way to win national championships, I think it's a very good way to talk about, well, the Big 12 is going to bring in its first national champion since 2017. All right? If you see what I did there, you see what I did there. Central Florida is going to play Big 12 football in 2023, right? They go undefeated in 2017. They have a claim to the national championship. I give it to them. They take it. You might not give it to them, but it underscores my point. Nobody else in the Big 12 can even make that claim. Not Oklahoma, not Texas, nobody. I mean, closest the Big 12 has got to a national championship since 2009 is getting beat 65-7 to by the team I was just talking about. Get what I'm saying here? So, taking a look at this, it's also really important to underscore this is a landmark year for college athletics, but for college football in particular, because we're going to get to a conclusion in Johnson versus the NCAA, which is going to change how we monetize college football, in particular in college sports overall, right? You think you don't like name, image, and likeness. Wait till you see what Supreme Court has to say about these things. Now, on top of that, we're also going into the last year for Oklahoma, Texas, and the Big 12. We know this, but also the last year for USC and UCLA in the Pac-12. We're also going to have a totally new network for where the SEC is seen. We're going to have a totally new network for where the Big Ten is also seen. And the college football playoff is going to have its last go at four teams when we go to 12 following year, we hope, right? We're still working out some of the kinks on that. But all points, point two, yeah, we're going to have expansion to playoff 2024, especially by 2025. But, you know, there's other things to work out, notably money which is what college football is about. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you believe. The facts are the sport is about money, moolah, dinero. We got college football coaches making $10 million a year where 40 years ago, you could make $100,000 call that a good day, okay? I remember being in Stillwater for local media day, 2019. Mike Gundy's holding court. He says, you know, it's criminal how much they pay us. Man makes $7.5 million a year. Okay, get my point here. But this also underscores what the Big 12 is up against because you know that not only is the SEC and the Big 10 beating you like a drum, you also know that you aren't even in the same hemisphere as competing for a national championship with those teams. Again, going to outline that point a little bit further down in the show. But as we get into this, it's also important to note Oklahoma and Texas are going to pay north of $100 million to leave one year early, which, think about that for a second, even $100 million, <laughs> that's still such a large amount of money to say, I want to graduate one year early. But you know what? If you got it, you got it. Because Texas certainly does. 
And Oklahoma ain't turning down nothing but its collar. Like those are two programs among, I think, just 12 or 15 that actually operate in the black when we're talking about football. But in as far as they are leaving in 2023, I want to go through what I think is, well, two cool segments. Their checklist. The first one I'm giving to the Big 12. This is your 2023 checklist. You have to reestablish the brand that is the Big 12. That's full stop. You have to build your program around what makes it unique and elite, which is another way of saying put Patrick Mahomes everywhere. Everywhere. Embrace that the Big 12 held him to five and seven and still produced him to the NFL and all its many fans who could give a damn about our sport until the NFL draft comes around. And they're like, hey, RJ, who's CJ Stroud? Casuals. But you should do it. Because the NFL is America. And as long as you can claim a two-time MVP, Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champ, you should do it. Okay? Also, not to underscore this any more than I have to, but I will. It was two Big 12 quarterbacks in this year's Super Bowl. And it was Oklahoma and Texas Tech. Or another way of saying, just like old times, Patrick Mahomes in a shootout with a Big 12 quarterback. By the way, Baker Mayfield beat him. Jalen Hurts did not. Okay. Throw that at you. Swallow that. Take that down with a little bit of nourishment. Okay? Because we're not done on that front. We're not done on that front. I get asked this question all the time. How does Patrick Mahomes go 5-7 and seven Texas Tech? Let me tell you about another dude that came out of White House, Texas, which is a real place. That's the suburb of Tyler, Texas. The same time that Patrick Mahomes came out of White House, Texas. What's Dylan Cantrell doing right now, guys? That's how you go five and seven in Texas Tech. All right. Also, shout out to is Philly Blunts. Is Philly Blunts today? That Patrick Mahomes Senior is a national treasure. But also, let his kid go to Texas Tech. When it's very clear to the rest of us now that yo man, that dude should have been almost anywhere else. But Cliff Kingsbury got him. Cliff Kingsbury made him into a player that Andy Reid could go get. We can keep going down that line, and it could be fun. But that's a narrative. That's a story that the Big Twelve, the conference should be telling, and they should be telling it until we tell it like we say Tom Brady is the GOAT. Do that, okay? The second thing that you should do to help reestablish the brand is crank the volume on these budding rivalries. You have some really cool things to put in front of us, like Baylor versus BYU. That is the Baptists versus the Mormons, which is the thing that we can say and nobody gets upset. Like, that's awesome. Because now you have not just two schools, but two different groups of people who have other reasons to not like each other. Other reasons to want to see their team beat the other team. You also casually got some outstanding quarterback play coming out of BYU. You've had some outstanding quarterback play and running backs lately coming out of Baylor. Also, you know, you got your border rivalries that now all of a sudden have some spark to them. Kansas State is the Big 12 champ. Kansas is not a doormat anymore. I mean, even as we're talking about this, we're talking about guys like Richard Reese, who came out of nowhere, a three-star from Central Texas, who ends up being your bell cow back in a year where everybody thought it was going to be Craig Smith, right? You have that. You should embrace those stories and push those guys to the forefront. You know what Richard Reese reminds me of? Another kid who ended up at Iowa State that nobody thought about. That was a three-star athlete. Ends up being a unanimous All-American. His name is Brees Hall. You know what I'm saying here? 
Like you've got players. And the fact of the matter is people don't care. How do you make them care? By continuing to say it over and over again. Kansas has Jalen Daniels, an outstanding quarterback, a fun quarterback to watch. If you told me that Jalen Daniels is going to end up like Jalen Hurts, I would believe you because he has those sorts of tools. And you know how much I love me some Lance Leipold. Like, they're fun and they're good. And they can challenge a Kansas State team who wrecked an undefeated season for Texas Christian in the Big 12 championship. The Sunflower State rivalry is one that you can lift up now. As a matter of fact, it was a watershed moment when we had, you know, people picking games and people pick Kansas State, Kansas over, say, you know, Oklahoma versus anybody. That's wild. But that's what you have. You can continue to build on that. I understand I'm also like glossing over the basketball parts of this, but I understand that the Big 12 is the basketball conference for obvious reasons. But these are all things you can do for football. How great your conference could be when the football is this good. We also could talk about Texas Christian versus everybody because I think everybody has a reason to want to fight Texas Christian. Okay. Number one, you go five and seven, you run rough shot over the league, you lose the Big 12 championship, and then you embarrass us in the national championship game. I'm glossing over the Big 10 thing against Michigan, but you get me, right? You also, if you played Texas Christian close, you feel like you probably could have beaten Michigan, which ought to really make Michigan fans all the way upset. What I'm saying here is Texas Christian playing Texas Tech, playing, my goodness, Houston, playing Central Florida, that's going to be a lot of fun, right? I also think that they're proud about it now. Like Fort Worth is coming out here with the chest out. Plus, they've been owning Texas for like the last 10 years, so they feel some kind of way about that. But that also leads me into a larger point about your coaches, right? Thinking about Sonny Dykes. You need to tell these dudes stories, and you need to tell them over and over again. As a matter of fact, when I was talking about Chris Kleiman could be the guy to knock off Sonny Dykes and Texas Christian. One of the points that was raised in our production meeting that I raised the production meeting was, yeah, you're talking about a guy that's won national championships and producer Kat, who's in the number one chair today. Thank you to her. She was like, RJ, you need to say that because we know that, but I don't think they know that. Yo, Big 12, I'm giving you this. You have a national champion coach who just won your conference championship, and people want to act like it's a fluke. It's not. That dude can coach. Lance Leipold, national champ. He can coach. Steve Sarkeesian, we know about. Offensive coordinator at Bama. Brent Venables, we know about. Who's leaving, but you get my point here, right? You have these guys that are not just winning national championships, but they're developing great prospects. I can point to Dave Aranda being an outstanding coordinator at LSU before flipping Baylor from 2-7 and seven to 11-2. and two. I can point to Matt Campbell, who I think is quietly one of the most underrated coaches in the sport, not just developing a unanimous All-American in Brees Hall and perhaps even a, a first-round pick again in Xavier Hutchinson after catching like 103 balls last year and being a Bolitnikoff Award finalist. That dude developed a four-year starter that anybody that watched Big 12 football wouldn't tell you could spin it. That dude developed a dude that went at Oregon's neck and beat him in the Fiesta Bowl and capped off the best season in Iowa State football history in a play year. You get what I'm saying? That dude developed Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy didn't get beat until he was knocked out of the game because he could throw football in the NFL. But it was not necessarily like he was going to go run a rough shot inside the Big 12. What I'm saying here is 
somehow, some way, you have developed some outstanding individual players and you have some outstanding individual coaches. You need to tell everybody what those things are and who those people are, and you need to claim them. Because that's the big part of this. As we were talking about Jalen Hurts, right, going into the Super Bowl, one of the points of interest was who gets to claim him? And I can't believe this, but I had people going, well, the NFL says on his bio that he went to Oklahoma. And I'm going, y'all are asinine about that. And it also speaks to just how few people actually watch our sport as opposed to the NFL. But the fact of the matter is Oklahoma did such a great job of claiming Jalen Hurts, of saying, we didn't bench you in the national championship game when you weren't getting it done, even when you fumbled the football like you did in the Super Bowl. Okay? We stayed with you, which means something different now because we watched Lincoln Riley pull out Spencer Rattler for the dude that eventually wins the Heisman in 2022, but we didn't know that at the time. That's because Oklahoma claimed him. That's what you have to do if you're the Big 12. Lay hands on these dudes like it's Sunday at worship and make them yours. Believe it, receive it, maybe you get to a national championship. But that's also where we get to the Oklahoma and Texas part of this, right? Because on their checklist, I got it. It's pretty simple. Pretty, 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 pretty simple. This is a legacy year for the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas. No matter what you have done beforehand, everybody's going to look at how you lead this conference. Because in January, the Big 12 gave both Oklahoma and Texas the middle finger. How did they do that? Take a look at the scheduling, okay? But to start with, when Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State, they have to win, which, frankly, has been what they have done for the better part of 120 years. They have beaten Oklahoma State like they are a drum. Beat them like they stole something. Beat them like a rented mule, okay? Beat them like a Hertz car that you don't plan on returning. What I'm saying here is, you can't afford to lose to Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy because he's already made this grudge match. He didn't even know why you should be invited to their meetings in 2022 after saying you wanted to leave. And knowing that Oklahoma State has been in it a couple of these games the last couple of years, I would not doubt it that Oklahoma State players are made to understand you got to go win this one because we need to send them out on an L. Doesn't matter what we did before. It matters that you beat them in 2023. And for Oklahoma, the same is true. For Texas, I'm not going to say beat Oklahoma because, you know, 49-0 last year, but also you're going to the same conference. You're locked at the hip, which is still wild and strange to say. It's like seeing Superman and Lex Luthor go to the prom together. I just, I just don't get it. By the way, in this analogy, Oklahoma is the smartest man in the world. I'll let you figure out which one of those people are. Now, I say for Texas, it ain't being Oklahoma. It ain't being Texas Tech, ain't being Texas Christian or Baylor. It's not even don't lose to Kansas, which, you know, could happen. It's beat Houston. Okay. All right. For the uninitiated, you cannot, you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to recreate this moment. When I looked at Texas' schedule and I double took, like had to double check, double look, Texas got to go to Houston? Oh, my God. Texas got to go to Houston. All right. Texas looks down on Houston. Not unlike, it's not even like Oklahoma looks down on Oklahoma State because they traditionally played each other. Texas looks down on Houston in such a way that they refuse to play Houston for 20 years. That is not an exaggeration. After leaving the Southwest Conference, 
or I should say the disillusion of their thereof. Texas and Houston had one three-game series, 2000-2002. Since then, nothing, nada, zip, even though that's a natural rivalry, but not for Texas. Texas doesn't want to play Houston and never, ever, ever was going to travel to play Houston after having won the national championship in 2005. They didn't want to do it. Want to do it, right? You'd have to match them up in a bowl game. That's how that would have to happen because Houston is home base for Texas. It's kind of like the way Oklahoma feels about Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's home base. Why would we want to go and play in front of your fans who we look down on? Another way of putting this, and this is local to me, but you'll get where I'm coming from in this. I go to the University of Tulsa, okay? It is a privilege for the University of Tulsa to play Oklahoma. They understand this. Oklahoma understands this. It's a privilege for the University of Tulsa to play Oklahoma State. They understand this. I remember being a cheerleader going to Fayetteville for the University of Tulsa to play Arkansas. And at the time, I was like, man, this game should happen every year. Like, they should have a home and home. And then I had to go look it up. Where University of Arkansas Athletic Director Frank Broyles had to say, yeah, we're never going to travel to Tulsa. Why? Because it's beneath us. We are not doing that. We'll do it at Oklahoma. We'll even do it at Oklahoma State. We're not going to do it at the University of Tulsa. That is the energy for which the University of Texas has looked down on Houston. And now you got Fertitta money, Dana Holgerson's mouth, and an air raid offense that wants to get it in. And it's only opportunity to beat the hell out of you. I'm telling you, man. Steve, Coach Sark, better come correct. Because you will never hear the end of this, not just from Houston fans, but from Oklahoma fans, from Texas A&M fans, from Arkansas fans, from anybody that's got any shouting distance at Houston about having lost to Houston. So you have to win that game. Casually on this list, of course, win 10 games, win double digit, right? That means you got to beat most of your Big 12 opponents, if not all. And frankly, I think it would be quite fun for Oklahoma and Texas to end up in the Big 12 title game in the year which will be their last in the Big 12, because it will also underscore for them what has been true since the inception of this league. Oklahoma has run it on the field, and Texas has run it with its money. Okay? University of Oklahoma, unchallenged and unmatched when it comes to the legacy of who wins what in football in the Big 12 conference and who carries that flag. University of Texas had so much money that they browbeat the networks and or the Big 12 into having their own damn channel that nobody watched. Nobody, but nobody. And it might have ruined the Big 12 for the next 10 years, right? At the time that they did this deal. That's how much money whipping is going on in the University of Texas. But it also underscores something else that is important about the University of Texas. Nobody has done less with more, less, more money, Less getting out of it. Better recruiting. Less getting out of it. We're talking about 2009. For the last time, a team not named Texas Christian had played in the Nash Championship game, and that is University of Texas, when they basically got beat like they stole something by the University of Alabama at a time when everybody's like, oh, man, this Alabama thing could go on for a while, and it's still going on. That's what we remember about the University of Texas. Remember the University of Texas ain't had no first-round draft picks since, like, 2013. Okay, we remember the University of Texas said we're back after beating a Georgia team in a Rose Bowl, didn't want to be there in the Rose Bowl. 
We remember the University of Texas went five and seven and then had the nerve to crow at us when they go eight and five. I remember going eight and five at Oklahoma is a down year. Somebody got fired that year. Some, some, somebody going to lose their job if Oklahoma goes eight and five. Okay? Now, get into a little bit of this, but I also think this is an interesting spot for Brent Venables. Because Brent Venables is going to face a future in Oklahoma that nobody's ever seen before. I think it is important to underscore that the last time that we thought Oklahoma was really good, it's Alamo Bowl, 2021, when Caleb Williams stayed around to help Oklahoma beat Oregon. At the time, Oklahoma had 105 players on the roster. Okay. And in 2023, about two years later, just 22 of those players remain. Now, graduation and whatnot, but also attrition and transfer. In 2022, Brent Venables had to add 40 scholarship players. That's half your roster. Half of it. In 2023, it's a top five recruiting class, but he added 37 scholarship players. Continuity is a luxury. It used to be a certainty. And Brent Venables is learning to operate in an environment where he still wants his relationships and his continuity to be the pillars of his program, which means that he has to overhaul a culture in such a way that it comes to resemble some of the things that he's been associated with in the past, which Clemson is a great example of that. So was Oklahoma circa 2000, 2002, right, when he was there. And certainly his time at Kansas State, where he came as a JUCO guy to play for this dude named Bill Snyder, who might be, you know, the greatest coach to ever turn around any program ever. But I think it's important to raise those things while he's also saying things like, I recruited Jackson Arnold and others by saying, you got to stick with me. If you stick with me, it's going to be hard. If you stick with me, it ain't going to be easy. If you stick with me, usually we're going to do it the right way and the right way is the hardest way possible. He's saying things like, it has to be me, or excuse me, it has to be we versus me. He's saying these things that sometimes can feel cliche. And maybe they are, but cliches come out of truth, right? We say them all the time because there is truth to them. You're going to have to believe in what Brent Venables is building, and you're going to have to believe it blindly if you are Oklahoma in 2023 because that man is going to have to set you up for success in a league that, frankly— I don't think Oklahoma is ready for. I, I, I think the players will be. I think the support staff will be. I think Brent certainly is. Like, he turned down the Auburn job just because he didn't think it was the right fit for him. But Oklahoma fans are going to find out just how hard it is to be a fan in that league and how your expectations are no longer going to be 12-2. and two. They're going to be 8-4, and 7-5. Some years, they're going to be 6-6. Six and six. What Tennessee has gone through in the last 15 years that could be you. What Ole Miss is, that could be you. What Texas A&M is, that could be you. But to walk in that thing and believe that you're going to be Alabama or Georgia is asinine and you ain't earned it. That's what environment Brent Venables is going to be operating in. So I'm here for it. I'm not going anywhere. But you should enjoy this last year of Big 12 football because it's going to be the last time that you get to look at the schedule and say, yeah, we're going to win 10 games. All right. A team that is going to win 10 games. 
probably, unless something drastic happens to the University of Georgia. And I think that's where I want to start with this, right? Because what is very true about college football is recruiting wins championships. And you got to pay the cost to be the boss, which means that now I kind of want to get into the top five budgets in college football recruiting. It's important to say off the top, this is not my list. This is not an opinion list. This is a list that I need you to see and visualize that is from USA Today, where they have done the, my goodness, thankless work of tracking down all of these numbers to also kind of building some context as to what people are spending and why. And we'll get into some of that minutiae as we talk, but I'm going to go one through five here, just so you understand what it takes to being king in college football. So at number one, we get the University of Georgia. And that should not shock anybody because Georgia has won the last two national championships. But I remember when they first won what I call the recruiting national championship, I said, yeah, this team's a problem. For which people going, oh, they started giving out national championships in February. Yes, they did, fool, because you see what Georgia has been able to do with its recruiting. Now, they spend $4.5 million. What does that mean? It means they spend just $1.5 million less on recruiting than they do on both, well, I shouldn't say both, on their entire assistant coaching salaries. 2022, assistant coaches at Georgia made about $6.6 million. They also spent $4.5 million in recruiting, okay? Now, think about how the University of Georgia's football program is made up. It is made up of five stars and four stars who stay. Somehow, some way, Kirby Smart has created the kind of continuity that Brent Venables wants at Oklahoma that Dabo Sweeney has enjoyed at Clemson. And that somehow, whatever way, Nick Saban just seems to overcome at the University of Alabama. Let's get their Darion Kendrick at Georgia every now and again. But for the most part, you're going to see him develop guys and send them to the NFL. And that is what they're buying into, right? It takes a lot of money, not just to convince those guys to buy into that, but to facilitate the kind of recruiting and, let's say, pomp and circumstance that you need to ensure to parents, let alone recruits, that you're going to give them every bit of the advantage that they expect with their five-star athleticism. That means on the field and off the field. That means opportunities, not necessarily in name, image, and likeness, but adjacent to it, right? So as we continue to talk about this, I want to go to number two, which is laughable because it's Texas A&M. Texas A&M spends $2.98 million. Now, the first thing to underscore about that is Texas A&M spends, my gosh, $1.5 million less than Georgia on recruiting, which begs the question, what gives? Now, on the one hand, I think Texas A&M, like the rest of these programs we're going to talk about, needs to up the number of uh, the amount of money that it's investing in its recruiting. But then you look at Jimbo Fisher's head coaching contract. And then you look at Jimbo Fisher's buyout, which is about the same. Like he, it costs $86 million to buy out Jimbo Fisher. For perspective, it costs $103 to buy out Kirby Smart, which is a lot of money. Basically, what Oklahoma and Texas are going to play to leave a year early. But you get my point here. There should not be that sort of disparity between Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher based on what they have done. It also begs the question, what 
do you have to get going right at AM for them to be successful? Like I was looking at their schedule and I was trying to figure out what a good number for them would be to say they're successful in 2023. It'd be nine wins, but I don't see nine wins. I see ULM, who you ought to beat, right? But I also see you can lose to Arkansas. You can lose to Ole Miss. You can lose to Bama and now down the line. But important to note here, both Georgia and Texas A&M played Alabama closely, which is another way of saying they have the talent to go and do this. But putting together over the full year has been eluding them. But that talent does a lot. Does a lot. Just means you got to find the right ingredients, but you still got to be putting together the best and most valuable and expensive ingredients to even get an opportunity to play close to a team like Alabama, even when they're down to their backup quarterback in Jalen Milrow. Me, leads me to number three on this list. University of Tennessee, producer cat's alma mater. They spend just a little bit less than AM on recruiting, which I thought was mind-blowing, given what kind of shape Tennessee was in before Josh Heifel got there. Now, I'd also add, Josh Heifel is a good man and a good coach, who's not going to be caught with anything associated with, let's say, uh, Ronald McDonald and uh, 18 NCAA level one infractions, okay? But it also really sells to me just how Tennessee was able to beat Alabama for the first time, basically since Nick Saban was head coach at Alabama, okay? You did it with a guy like Hendon Hooker, who I swear to you, everybody thought was damaged goods before he got to, uh, to, to Tennessee, to the volunteers. and then. You flipped him into what is basically what I think is the Max Duggan to their Chandler Morris. And Joe Milton is a more talented player. He just did not have the tools to operate the offense the way Hendon Hooker did. So that's why you go with that guy. But you needed other people around him. And you could go get guys out of the portal. You go get Brew McCoy, but you also got Byron Young, right? You are able to pull guys out like Squirrel White, who can help you go beat a Clemson team that feels like a national title contender. Because you recruited so well. And all Josh Heupel had to do was do what he did at Oklahoma. Play the best quarterback, put him in the best positions to win, stay out of their way, and do his thing. But you can't have this conversation about Tennessee beating Alabama without knowing that they are outspending Alabama in recruiting. You know how you know that? Just take a look at these top three here. Okay? Which leads me to number four on the list, which is not the University of Alabama. The University of Texas, which again, to the AM point, how? How, Sway? How? How are you this bad and spend this much money in recruiting alone? As a matter of fact, you remember last summer, longtime listeners of the show, people that listen to the show all the time, we did this big thing. Actually, we did like a three part series in June about Arch Manning. And we ended on how much money the University of Texas spent on the weekend that Arch Manning and others were hosted. And it was something like $600,000, which is a drop in the bucket when you're talking about what Arch Manning might mean for you and what being associated with the Manning family is going to mean for you. But also, when you're looking at the budget that they spend in recruiting, it's actually a sizable amount, which, led, again, leads me to this understanding of perhaps you too, like AM, need to spend more money because you got it. You got it. You ain't got to lie to nobody. We know you got pockets that are deep. We know that, you know, as much as, I hate gas prices going up and down. Y'all love this stuff when it gets to, when it gets to be like 389 in Tulsa, which I understand for the rest of y'all, it's like on the floor. 
But again, I'm in an oil producing state adjacent to oil producing states. So I don't feel those sorts of market pressures the way you do. But, you know, California, a lot of money going in the pockets in Texas where they ain't got no state income taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. Uh huh. So you can afford to put more money into the football program because it's your plaything. You know, it's like buying a new convertible. You get to just say that. And they give you a nice card and maybe you get some nice seats. But for the most part, they take your money and then they do this with it. Like, how are you number four in outspending people in recruiting? And yet you can't make the Big 12 championship, let alone a national semifinal. That's got to get fixed. And now with guys like Quinn Ewers, with Xavier Worthy returning, with the kind of talent that you can just get year in and year out, you should be doing more. Which leads me to number five on the list. That is finally the University of Alabama, who spends just a little bit less than the University of Texas to round out our top five. Now, first thing is Nick Saban is Nick Saban. And to believe that you can operate like Nick Saban is really just ridiculous because you can't. Nobody can. He breaks a lot of rules uh, associated with just basic cost-benefit analysis and economics, let alone college football, and still is able to go get 10, 11, 12 wins a game and every other year win the national championship. I still can't get over the fact that Alabama is calling an 11-win season where they beat the hell out of the Big 12 champion in a Sugar Bowl a down year. But they've earned that, and we got to deal with it. But even they can't just put their spending on the floor when it comes to recruiting. They have to be among the top five programs in all of college football to operate at the level that they want to operate at the University of Alabama. And at the University of Alabama, not unlike the University of Georgia, not unlike Ohio State University, everybody's on the program. What do I mean by that? You're not going to find too many people that are loud about not liking Alabama. Like you'll run into some Auburn fans here and there in the state of Alabama. But for the most part, everybody on the program. I know this because the University of Alabama Birmingham knows that it depends on the University of Alabama to be good. One of the reasons they were allowed to have a football program in the first place. And one of the reasons they nearly got scuttled again. Because you can't compete with the University of Alabama because the University of Alabama is a state. Okay? Georgia football is the only thing that people care about until the Falcons play on Sunday. And then they care again about Georgia football. Okay? Ohio State, everybody on the program. Everybody's on the program. Everybody's pulling in the same direction. It's Buckeyes this and Buckeyes that. In a state where they got two NFL franchises, Major League Baseball, an NBA team, and a friggin' NBA Finals title. And yet and still, it's Buckeye football, first, last, and everything in between. Now, what is also, and I think the most important part of this conversation, is that all five of these teams come 2024 are SEC programs, every last one. You saw that Texas Christian is able to get not just into the playoff, but beat the Big Ten champion with a roster that, frankly, you know, made up of a bunch of transfer portals, uh, kids, and can, can get there, but they're not spending this kind of money in recruiting. One of the reasons we all still think of it as a fluke year. But who's the team they beat? Wasn't Ohio State, who gave Georgia the business up until it clock hit midnight and my man pulled the kick wide left. It's that Michigan is more or less doing more with less because they're not inside this top five. And most folks, myself included, 
Did not expect them to be good last year. Certainly not the year before that. And yet here they are. What if they spent, like the University of Tennessee spends in their recruiting and just decided, yeah, if it's about money, that's easy. Because effort is hard. Strategy is hard. Money, if you got it, spend it. Universities all over the country would love to be in this conversation, but there's only a couple others that can do this. Oklahoma being one of them, Ohio State being another one, LSU could be one, USC, UCLA. You get what I'm saying here. If we know your name and you are a brand program to us, there is no reason for you to not spend $3 million on your recruiting every year because that's what you're going to spend on your assistant coaches alone. Why not give them the best advantage to have the best players at their disposal? Because that's what Georgia does. And that's how Georgia has gone. I kid you not, 37 and three over the last three years. After nobody talked about the University of Georgia being the best program in college football. Nobody. And then they popped up there with a dude that had to get run off the JUCO at quarterback. This is what I'm saying. Like I, I hate to be this simple about it, but if I can do this stuff on a legal pad, and we can come here and we can do this segment. I got to believe that there are suits in and around these campuses that can do the same damn thing. I only ask, why aren't they? Because what the SEC has figured out, and what frankly it's going to take to beat them, is it just means more money. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, who is out and i miss him can't wait to have him back my my goodness my heartfelt thanks to producer katherine donnelly who is here helping me record this show on a day that should be all about her back in the number one spot miss you cat our director is kyle holly our social media maven is jvon duncan our production assistant is kiara santana shout out to our intern michael in the chair next to my man kyle i'm the host rj we will see y'all next week Doses.